Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 the forward. Boom, 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 yellow card. Monday's Irish Times Second Caps Football Podcast has arrived. Here it is, right in your eardrums, presented by Omid David, Ken Early, and Kieran Murphy. Hi, Ken Early and Kieran Murphy. Hi, Hello, everyone. Happy to be in the eardrums of our listeners. It's quite an image, but yeah. Why not all? Could be over their ears either, I suppose. They're wearing, you know, Beats by Dre. I believe We've got a lot of, got a lot of funky young uh, listeners to this podcast who yeah. all, I'm sure, own Beats by Dre headphones. Mm. <laughs> I believe that uh, there is a multi-million uh, dollar movie of the BFG coming out very soon on. Right. Uh, and doesn't the main character, in the, the narrator in the BFG, spend a little bit of time in the eardrum of said Sophie. giant creature? Isn't it? Is it so? Oh. I think it's Sophie, yeah. She's yeah. Got, it's because the... She's got very big ears. Yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg. Thank you. If you happen to be a Spanish footballer, a fine, a fine film director. I think we can all agree. agree uh, on. If you happen to be a Spanish footballer who plied your trade around ten years ago and paid a few visits to Doctor Eufemiano Fuentes, it might be best to give the Daily Telegraph a skip today. Great piece by its cycling correspondent Tom Carey. Remember the Operation Puerto anti-doping investigation, right? A lot of fairly explosive evidence. Well, extremely explosive evidence without a very spectacular climax. Really, it was a bit unsatisfying in a lot of ways. A one-year suspended sentence for the doctor at the centre of it. A few cyclists thrown under the bus. But the 200 outstanding blood bags, you know, outstanding as in unaccounted for, not, not, uh, not publicly revealed who owned these bags, were ordered by the judge to be destroyed at the time, thereby denying everyone the possibility of finding out who they belonged to. Now, I'd forgotten that, uh, this story up until that, or had consigned it to memory until you emailed me this morning again, or late last night, with this story by, uh, by Tom Carey which is about an appeal that's ongoing at the moment and uh, will be heard in the next few days in Madrid by the World Anti-Doping Agency and the UCI, the International Cycling Union, against the destruction of those bags, which have been stored in a lab up in Barcelona. So essentially, the UCI and WADA and others have taken a case saying, well, whoa, 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 hang on a second there. There's some pretty valuable stuff outside of just cycling that we could find out about. For example, maybe some footballers uh, could, could well be implicated. I think Fuentes himself at the time uh, was boasting a little bit. He, he's a man who's not afraid of boasting. Mm. He was boasting about how he prepared a team for the Champions League, how he had footballers as clients, and all this kind of thing. So uh, we're at a situation where those bags still exist 
which is potentially beneficial in the Yeah, and that was the thing. I think a lot of us had presumed that once the judge had ordered the bags destroyed, that the bags were then destroyed. Uh, So just the mere fact that the the bags are still in existence, still intact, uh, means that we probably shouldn't have given up on Operation Puerto quite as quickly as we did. There's a good interview in there with the head of Spain's anti-doping agency who says, look, at, at times he tries to say, look, well, at least we actually had a go at this. Other, I'm sure there are similar issues in other countries and you don't see them going to trial because they're not taking it as seriously. Now you can maybe take that with a pinch of salt. But what he says is, look, I won't lie, it will be a tough day if these appeals are rejected. Hugely frustrating. By the end of the trial, it appeared the documents weren't anybody's, the, the meds weren't from anyone, and the 200 bags, it's as if they didn't exist. So even if the 200 people, even if some of them belong to the same person, you'd still get 80 to 100 people on a list there. and They must belong to someone. I'd be amazed if... Anything other than anything happened other than the destruction of those bags. Why? Because that's it seems to me what people in Spain want but to what, happen. Well what was the point in going through the whole Farago in the first place in actually instigating the investigation? As the Spanish police did. Maybe they didn't expect it to show up quite as much as it, as it, as it did. They might have been going after cycling specifically and then it got a little bit too... investigation got a little bit out of hand. <laughs> and then suddenly everybody was having second thoughts. Do we really want to do this? There can be too much truth, yeah. you know, for a country to handle at any one time. But Spain just wants to microdose truth. Not, <laughs> not to actually mainline. You know, that could be that could be dangerous. Yeah. Just small controlled doses just before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. A fatal overdose of truth at this juncture. You know, Spain don't need that. No. no. Report on sport time. You are a man of your word, Kennedy. A man of your word. So when you stated... A man of your word, honestly. You're a man of my word, Ken. So when you agreed to my statement last Thursday that you would describe each and every single goal scored over the FA Cup third wait, round wait weekend... A wait a second, we're not actually doing this. I you? never doubted you for a second. Okay. You sound quite pumped about this prospect. Uh, well, when we said describe each and every goal, I I, I started off trying that. Well, I, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've begun this project... With the best of intentions, mm-hmm. let's just say. But much like the Spanish police, there's a lot of games in the FA Cup third round. How many goals are we talking about? Do you have the full so, number? Do of you goals? Think I haven't counted up the goals. You can Six, count up the goals. Sixty-four games, is it? Ah, oh, no, it wouldn't be quite that many. No. Um, oh, bloody hell! Is it sixty-four? <laughs> no, couldn't be. God, let's yeah. Thirty-two. Uh, so what have you done? What have you ended up? Uh, since you're microdosing here. No, I've, I, well, no, I've got, I've got them. I've got, got them. Here. them? Okay, well, I, want, you, I want an overdose. Do you want, of a, do you want, do you want to hear? Them? Yeah, well, do you want to back? Do you want to review the FA Cup third round? Yeah, let's give you let's suitable, suitable backing track. Okay, well, Oxford uh, three, Swansea <laughs> City two, uh, Jefferson Montero with that one two, and what a finish it was inside the near post. First goal of the season, really? But the Ecuadorian has got such quality. I was amazed to hear that Oxford though quickly hit back. Crazy, crazy challenge by Ashley Williams, apparently buried by Sirgun. Oxford again with a shot from the edge of the area by Roof. Keeper could have done better on that one. And again on the third, Roof slicing through the centre. Keeper got a hand to it, couldn't stop it. Loops in for 3-1. Premier League side under the cosh. Gomez getting, getting one back. <laughs> too little, too late for the Swans. <laughs> Spurs 2, Leicester 2. Uh, a parry by Kasper Schmeichel. Only as far as Christian Eriksen, who knocks it past his fellow Dane. But Vasilevsky rises like a stag to nod Leicester's equaliser. Okazaki then bursts into the box with a Ricky Villa-style dribble and slams one in. But in the last minute, here comes Danny Rose winning a penalty for handball against Dyer. Harry Kane steps up to bury the 2-2 and condemn Spurs to the replay they obviously didn't want when you look at their team section. <laughs> Carlisle 2, Yeovil 2. We're still on Sunday, right? 
Yeah. I told you there's a lot of games on. <laughs> Carlisle's Danny Granger with a deflected free kick to open the scoring for the home side, but then a late and exciting flurry of goals. First, Francis Zocco heading the equaliser before Mark Ellis headed Carlisle back in front, but then Sean Jeffers scored in the last minute to force the replay. Chelsea 2, Scunthorpe nil. Ruben Loftus-Cheek finally gets a shot on target after 11 matches for Chelsea to make it 2-0 from Aspilicueta's cross. Earlier, Diego Costa had scored off an Ivanovic cross. Slick stuff from the champions. Slick and deep. Cardiff nil. Shrewsbury won. A sad day for the Bluebirds as Andrew Mangan scored the winner for the visitors. Andrew Mangan of our Andrew spot. Mangan of Shrewsbury. Scored the winner for the visitors via a 60-second minute corner on a potato field of the pitch. I probably shouldn't comment on too much of this because this this would take take two hours. Uh, Wickham won, Villa won. Uh, Captain Mika Richards proved as inspirational as the lion-hearted lion on the crest of Aston Villa's shirt, (laughs) shooting Aston Villa in front after 22 minutes. But unfortunately, Ashley Westwood gave away a penalty to Joe Jacobs and smacked it into the net. Uh, to score for Wickham so, Wickham, so that was that. Arsenal 3, Sunderland 1, and early slap in the face for the moneyed crowd at the Emirates as Jermaine Lance exploited some ropey defending to shoot <laughs> Sunderland in front, but Arsenal soon eased into command. Joel Campbell's deft finish equalised before Ramsey's tapping in Giroud's poacher strike. Wrapped it up. Nice one. Birmingham 1, Bournemouth 2. Glenn Murray, the hero again for Bournemouth, with his late goal to see that come from behind victory. Jamie Vaughan, the villain, after his missed... James Vaughan, the villain after his miss penalty, proved costly. Michael Morrison headed the home side in front, but Lee Tomlin equalised from the spot before halftime, setting the stage for Murray's rescue act. Hold on a second. Do you need more music? We've actually run out of that jingle. Well, this I, is your baby. I think we, I think we can just play it again. Let's yeah, play it again, yeah. Maybe. I think they just replayed the same like eight bars anyway for mm-hmm. every goal of the month. So I think actually Ian Brody's lyrics didn't come into it. No, at all. I don't think they ever used that slow intro. In it, off the go again. Brentford nil, Walsall one. The Bees FA Cup dream was captured and put in a jar with no air holes in it by <laughs> Sam Madden, who curled in the winner on 34 minutes. Barry nil, Bradford nil. No goals. Oh, thank Bradford. God for that. Colchester 2, Charlton 1. George Moncur and Marvin Sordell did the damage in the first half. Reza Gujanichad scored in the last minute, but it was too little too late. <laughs> uh, Doncaster 1, Stoke 2. Peter Crouch flicked in a header on 15 to give Stoke the lead, but Nathan Tyson landed what threatened to be a knockout blow 10 minutes later. <laughs> it wasn't a knockout blow, though, because John Walters smashed one in from 25 yards oh, to save Stoke and send a message to Mark Hughes. He's giving him a problem there. <laughs> uh, Eastleigh won. Bolton won. Bolton really are in a terrible state, which is made even worse when Dorian Dervite smashed in an own goal. But Darren Prattley spared them from a pratfall with his late equaliser. You haven't used cabbage patch of a pitch yet, which I'm surprised potato, about. Potato, potato field. Oh, did you use potato field? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everton 2, Dagenham and Red, Redbridge nil. The Toffees did not come unstuck against their lower league opposition. <laughs> with Aruna Kone's first half header and Kevin Morales' second half penalty giving them the sugar rush they craved. <laughs> come on, Ken. We've gone this far. We can, we can get there. Hardly pull one, Derby two. The monkey hangers threatened to make it a sheepish exit for the Rams with Jake Gray 60. <laughs> Sorry, what was the nickname there? The, the monkey hangers. The monkey hangers. Yeah, they, they, they're they called the monkey hangers because mm-hmm. they supposedly, uh, when a, a ship was wrecked off the coast of Hartlepool, like back in the early 19th mm. century when the Napoleonic Wars were on, and like a monkey was on the ship and, and managed to sort of got washed up on shore, still alive. They captured it, thought it was a Frenchman, <laughs> and strung it up. Uh, hanged the monkey in the town square before a jubilant crowd of the forebears of what are now Hartlepool supporters. This is 
what this story says, Owen. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. But the monkey hangers threatened to make it a sheepish exit for the Rams with Jake Gray's 61st minute, 61st minute volley. But the Rams butted their way back into contention as Jacob Butterfield scored with a low shot. And Darren Bent's late winner completed what was a very fine yarn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Huddersfield 2, Reading 2. All the goals came in the last half hour of this fascinating encounter. Jamie Patterson ensured the Terriers were nipping at the biscuit men's ankles with his 57-minute <laughs> strike. But then the Royals hit back with a stunning two-goal salvo. First, Matej Vidra curled in a deflected shot. Then Hal robson who also scored for the team in blue and white stripes. However, <laughs> Naki Wells then slammed in a penalty to dunk the biscuit men's hopes. I'll tell you what, we'll give you one more lightning season. You have to get it all done in that last play in the lightning season. That's not going to happen, Owen. You're going to have to put on something longer. Do we have Albanoni's Adagio? <laughs> no, we don't. No, it's lightning seeds. I can tell you yeah, that right now. Lightning seeds. They're on the way, don't you worry. Can. You just Hull won Brighton nil. It was a dark day for Brighton as Snodgrass, <laughs> Snodgrass's penalty called in pest control on the Seagulls. <laughs> Ipswich 2, Portsmouth 2. Uh, these two uh, young teams fumbled awkwardly through this third round encounter like a newly married young couple shyly making love for the very first time, <laughs> each nervously responding to the other's advances. <laughs> After a barren first half, Orr sucked one in in the 53rd minute before Bennett replied two minutes later by firing home Mark McNulty's cross. On minute 86, Connor Chaplin put Portsmouth in front, but in a charming play of reciprocity, this time it was Ipswich who replied just two minutes later through Ryan Fraser. Leeds 2, Rotherham nil. Leeds coldly dispatched the Millers like Ned Stark, beheading a criminal on a lonely ridge in the moors. Mustafa Cariel's debut goal was the first stroke of the executioner's broadsword. Suleiman Dukara took a gratuitous second slash at the lifeless body of Rotherham in the last minute. <laughs> You're real lost to sports news broadcasting, Ken. Can I just tell you that? News bulletin broadcasting. Yeah. Salvo, the, for instance. Yeah, there aren't enough nicknames being used for teams. That's my only Burrow issue. Burrow 1, Burnley 2. Diego Fabrini's close-range goal put Burrow in front early. That is a nickname, actually, owned. But the Clarets ruin Hennings equalised <laughs> before half-time, finishing off some fine work by Sam. That's all, Vokes. Ashley Moore <laughs> got the winner for Burnley on 71. Northampton 2, MK Dons 2. It was an unlucky 13th minute for Richard Cresswell when he slammed the ball into his own net to give MK Dons the lead in Northampton. But Ricky, Holmes, Ricky Holmes curled one in just after halftime to restore party. Nine minutes later, it was elementary for Holmes to tap in for 2-1. But Nicky Maynard booted one in late to leave the Cobblers feeling sore. Mm. And Norwich nil, Man City 3. The Canaries went down the coal mine to face Manchester City, who advanced on them like an invisible smothering blanket of carbon monoxide gas. <laughs> Aguero, Iheanacho and De Bruyne left the yellow songbirds motionless on the bottom of their cage, stiff little legs sticking sadly into the air. Nottingham Forest won Queen's Park Rangers nil. Jamie Ward's 24th minute goal for Forest ensured the oars were like a party of schoolchildren lost in haunted wood. They wandered in search of an equaliser, but it eluded them, and that was it for them, really. <laughs> Any more of these? Peterborough 2, Preston nil. Their winners and losers in life, and on this occasion, the posh went about their business with the minimum of fuss, uh, reminding the northern lily whites of the cruel stratification of the world. Samuelson's sniper shot put them 1-0 up before Connor Washington rose to head a killer second. Sheffield Wednesday 2, Fulham 1. The Owls soared soundlessly into the lead as Barry Bannon volleyed in just for half-time, but the Cottagers slyly laid out some strychnine pellets in the form of Moussa Dembele's equaliser one minute later. <laughs> but Atene Nuhiu's shot into the ground and in proved the Owls were simply too wise on the day. <laughs> mm. 
That's all Volks is still my favourite. But on we go. Southampton <laughs> one, Crystal Palace two. It was, an, it was an unholy day for the Saints on the South Coast as Joel Ward swooped down to sink the Eagles' talents deep into their flesh in 29 minutes. Oriel Romeo got one back, but Zaha cruelly plucked out the suffering martyr's liver of the Saints on 68 minutes with a close-range effort to burn Southampton's cup hopes at the stake for another season. I, I love the energy, the rapidly dwindling energy you're bringing to it. Do you want to keep going in one batch? Because my producer is... Watford won. We're on WO now. I think we can get there. It's fine. Watford won Newcastle nil. The magpies, renowned as the most intelligent of birds, and 11 mag- magpies would probably have made a better job of this FA Cup tie than humans selected by Steve McLaren. Georgino Wijnaldum split his own defence with an accidental through ball and found Troy Deeney alert to the possibility of Dutchman bearing gifts. Watford Hero raced through and arrogantly rounded Rob Elliott like Achilles circling the walls of Troy. Troy Deeney? Oh, yeah. <laughs> to give yeah, his yeah, side there, yeah. a lead they never relinquished. <laughs> West Brom 2, Bristol 2. The Baggies looked to have bagged the tie when Saidu Berahino bagged a goal in the 67th minute, but then Kojia headed one in for the Robins. To the Talk about bag. Robin head blessed. <laughs> <laughs> then again, a guard grabbed, grabbed, then a guard grabbed a second for the visitors. Two in the hand, two in the bush, two in the back, who cares? The Robins uh, were celebrating, but right at the end, James Morrison wiped away the bags from under the eyes of Baggies boss Tony Pulis by sticking one in the old onion bag. <laughs> West Ham won Wolves How many W's are there? <laughs> Bloody hell. West Ham sounded like a tasty prospect for Wolves, but the Irons showed a steely side to their game with Jelovic's late strike that condemned the Wolves <laughs> to extinction. Man United won Sheffield United nil. Manchester United's crowd switched to a 100% sarcastic mode of support. Uh, did you see that, actually? <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty way? amazing. It was yeah. unbelievable. I'm not, I'm, I can't remember seeing that before. Okay, enough of the commentary. We just need reports again. Before Memphis Depay won a late penalty, which was converted by resurgent goal wizard Wayne Rooney to blunt the blades. <laughs> oh, God. Exeter 2, Liverpool 2. Wait, you said you were on W. I thought this was alphabetical. Yeah, but this, it's, this is Friday now. Oh, okay. But then we're done then, aren't we? Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Extra is the last Nichols God, this did take a long time. Early on, but Jerome Sinclair replied for the super rights of Vanfield Road. Adam Bogdan then displayed his philosophy that caught corners are sweet, but those uncaught are sweeter. Therefore, ye soft corner kick fly on <laughs> into the net over my head. Lee Holmes getting the goal before Brad Smith fairly dinked one in for the flagging Reds to secure the replay. Their manager, Jurgen Klopp, apparently didn't quite realise they were going to have to play. <laughs> Uh, but he knows it now, Owen. Uh, he knows it now. And there'll be more FA Cup ghouls. Uh, when? Sometime, uh, sometime soon. Ah, oh, round of applause. Well done. Well done, lad. Well done. There are 10 replays to be played Tuesday the 19th of January. So Thursday, January 21st. Should be a hell of a podcast. Yeah, should be a hell of a podcast. Well, I mean, if there's just 10, then I think we'd probably be able to. Did you enjoy the FA Cup? Did you enjoy all the ghouls that you described there? Uh... It was all right. Oh. I know. I know. Okay. I noted your tweet on Friday night, which I thought was uh, bang on, and that mm. was to, you asked the BBC to. I'm going to put a few words in your mouth here, but please stop patronising us by telling us this would have been the greatest shock of all time. It's it really it, have been. Like, it's, it was... it's a lower level team playing against uh, another lower level team, mm. a team that are mostly young or, or else just not good enough to be in Liverpool's first team. Mm. So this pretense that they all keep up that it's going to be one of the great shocks. It would still be great for the smaller club. Mm. But to be in any way comparing it to shocks from the 70s or 80s or even early 90s is kind of ludicrous. Yeah, it's it's not at all. I mean, you can remember 
uh, seeing these games. I think the early 90s is almost the, maybe the 1990s generally. Mm. Um, since the since the end of the 90s seems to have changed. But, you, you know, if, if Liverpool had been losing to Exeter, you know, in 1995, there would have been absolute frenzy from them in the last 10, 15 minutes. Just absolute... We can't. We, this would be so embarrassing. This would be like a permanent stain on the reputation of the club. If they'd lost that game the other night, literally nobody would have cared. You know, I, I can imagine them all on the bus home, not even thinking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just listening to music, watching movies or whatever. It, it wouldn't have... Because the team that was playing was just a, a bunch of reserve players. Yeah, and Benteke, all right, yeah. But, you know, it's not like a... Uh, a proper team and that's what that's what's kind of leached the drama out of all these games I mean you saw the we referred to it there like the Tottenham team playing Leicester I mean it was just mm. it's amazing you know Leicester are like second in the, in the league it's not like at least uh, Liverpool were looking at it going well Exeter we'll, we might still beat them anyway. we probably will still beat them with our with our young players um, Spurs attitude to the Leicester games like you know we don't care if we get knocked out of the cup hopefully we do you know, literally, we we hope we get knocked out because uh, just tins our schedule out nicely. I mean, it's all about the Premier League. So surely replays are the anachronistic part of it here, and I know that that's maybe that's what will benefit the likes of Exeter, Exeter yeah. and these teams who need the replays. But from the point of view of the Premier League teams, mm. and the will, there come, will there come a point where they where they just say we're not playing in this tournament anymore? Well, no, the, comp- but they, the, they, the competition they, needs the needs the. The, the teams to take it seriously. So surely you would think, right, let's get rid of the replays and there's at least some chance then that these that these teams will say it's it's six games max or whatever. But the idea that, you know, if uh, Spurs were 2-1 down and they have Harry Kane on the bench and Pochettino is, I'm sure, asking himself, what do I do here? Do I put Kane on in the hope that he gets two goals or do I leave him, leave him where he is? And then you would think that no one else is going to get a goal for us, and then that's that's us out of the out of the competition. I mean, the fact that you're you're even speculating that that conversation happened, you know, even internally, even in his even own internally, head, yeah. it, you, the competition is then dead. You know, like you can't you you know you can't you can't go pa- get past that that point. And everyone knows that's what he was thinking. That the last thing I want here is is a draw. I would take a defeat sooner than I take a draw. I mean. I don't know that a tournament can recover from a statement like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that was that was why uh, that was the <laughs> that would have been the, the best thing for. Well, no, Leuvenhal didn't want to lose at home to Sheffield United. That would have been really bad. But like a draw would have been nearly as bad. You know, just oh, no, we have to do this again. And that's a, that's a kind of a grim situation when um, when that's the attitude to cup. But that's just the way it is now. Um, given that the, the league games have to be played at such a high level and seems to take so much out of the players physically, this kind of grand national effect um, that English football is quite keen on, you know, this like that's this will sort the men from the boys now, <laughs> was kind of okay when essentially the players could walk around, you know. Uh, they could... Uh, it wasn't quite as serious. I mean, it was it was a serious, but like physically speaking, it wasn't as, it wasn't as demanding, I don't think. Uh, now it's getting very difficult for them to play this many games. Um, Klopp uh, talking about that game mentioned that he had uh, people in Germany texting him saying congratulations on getting to the final of the League Cup that is when they beat Stoke in the first leg and he's like oh we actually have to play that game again people are like what? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense but um, yeah, they were asking him about Guardiola you know this is going to become a team I'm sure because obviously his past in the Bundesliga uh, I don't have to tell Pep Guardiola anything 
because he has that experience. But the number of games is the biggest difference. Um, you know, in Germany, when you tell people about the FA Cup, if you draw, you play again, they say, what? Here you have penalties and extra time, but only after the second game. That's the thing, the number of games, football, football, football. Uh, Pep is so experienced for sure. I'm sure he'll buy a few players and have a good team. 35 players or whatever. Um, what I can say is that it's all very positive here, blah, blah. Um, Sam Arlice was complaining about it as well. I think the uh, the number of games. Um, that's that's all you wanted. That's all you wanted. To, you just wanted to get a, the obligatory Sam Arlice mention in and then yeah. move it along. Yeah. Remy Gard, you wanted to talk about? Uh, Remy Gard has appealed to the Aston Villa board and Randy Lerner to address the fans. I don't know if you saw this video of the Villa players. Michael Richards in particular confronting the fans. Um, in the stadium or at the at the yeah bus? they're behind the dugout. Oh, so I I saw the post one as well, but no, the during the match Richards had been substituted, and there were some fans abusing the team from behind the dugout, and he turned around and started having a conversation with them, Re- remonstrating with them. I guess would be the best uh, best way to describe it. A couple of security men were initially trying to drag him off a little bit, and he was saying, "No, it's fine. I'm talking to these people," and I think they probably appreciated uh, appreciated it, although they still appeared to be at least in heated conversation with the player, uh, if not uh, abusive. I don't think they were necessarily abusing them. Well, they're definitely abusive when the players were trying mm-hmm. to get in the bus at the end. I don't know if you, if you saw that. There's just like a bunch of fans shouting abuse. Every so often you see that uh, when things are going really bad. I remember seeing it at uh, Wolves the day that they lost 5-1 to West Brom, which was McCarthy's last game as their manager. And just this huge crowd that had gathered outside the stadium just to, like... Just to scream abuse at everybody who was coming out. You know, there was no other purpose for them being there other than just to get some sort of venom off their chest. Uh, Remy Gard is now asking for Randy Lerner to talk to the fans, which I'm not sure <laughs> is going to help, actually. I don't know if it's necessarily going to help. At some point, it is important that the Aston Villa voice is not only mine, says Remy Gard. This is not to avoid my responsibilities at all. I will do it as long as I'm in this position at this club. Not a good sign. I no. think not really a great sign, um, but there you go. Uh, what else? Shakiri. Um, just Shakiri had that thing over the over the weekend where he mentioned um, he, he's had this ongoing thing where people are saying, "Oh, Shakiri!" Like in Germany, particularly, people are like, "Oh, Shakiri, he's a little greed head." Why would anyone join Stoke City if it wasn't for greed? You know, uh, people like Stefan Effenberg will have this view, and. Yeah, that is that is. I mean, you can see where they're coming from. But at the same, they should also remember that the reason Bayern Munich have the best players in Germany is because they pay them more. You know, I mean, if Borussia Dortmund were paying the players most, then everyone would be playing for Borussia Dortmund. But uh, Shakiri gets kind of annoyed by this, and he was making and he was telling a story which revealed, in his opinion, why you know Stoke City, though they may lack some of the you know international fame of Bayern or Inter, his previous clubs are uh, in some ways a superior outfit. Yeah, he says, uh, at Inter, uh, one time I was injured and needed to be ready for a game. They told me there was a miraculous healer who lived in the mountains. I drove for half an hour in a car to have been manipulated by an old man, but he did not help me at all. This is Roberto Mancini's idea. <laughs> this is also why Stoke City was the best choice. Here there are seven physiotherapists who will examine me every day, hips, feet, legs, everything in a professional manner. So, yeah. Um, apparently that, uh, that's just something that happened. Arsene Wenger was asked, he tends to be asked about the events of the day and the biggest event today obviously is the sad passing of David Bowie. Yeah. Wenger I believe has been asked about David Bowie. 
I am a fan of his music. The message he gave to my generation was very important. Be strong enough to be yourself. That's the end of Ken Early's report on sport. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler's here, Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. Dermot Cargan joins us from Madrid to talk about Zinedine Zan's first game as manager there. Dermot, a fairly comprehensive 5-0 beating of Deportivo and the players all saying the right things afterwards about how much fun it was, how great it is to play under Zizou, those kind of things, which is easy enough to say, I guess, after a 5-0 win. Was it noticeably different to the football that was played to what's been going on the last six months? Uh, yeah, it was, I guess. like The team, they did look more liberated. They, they played better football. They, they passed the ball out from the back a bit more. They, they scored some nice goals. You know, there's been some big wins under Benitez as well. You know, they beat Rio 10-2 and they beat Mamo 8-0. But the, just the, the general feeling around the Bernabeu was, was pretty different. There was none of the whistles or, or the boost for anybody. Everybody enjoyed themselves. Zidane has been playing along with it. He's been trying to, you know, he's a, he's a quiet enough guy or a guy who before hadn't talked very much. But since he's come in, he's been smiling to everybody. He's been laughing with the reporters. He's been getting a better mood around that training and telling the fans what they want to hear. And generally speaking, it, it worked, it's been working well so far and everybody had fun at the Bernabeu on, on Saturday. Just on the subject of Bale, uh, who's re- he's in amazing form at the moment. I mean, maybe this is the best uh, little patch of form that he's had since he joined Real Madrid. What do you think is the reason for that? Uh, it, it's hard to know. I, I guess he is playing amazing. You know, he's 10 goals in his last seven games uh, and he scored a hat-trick at the weekend. He seems to have... have under Benitez, he seemed to, to feel maybe more loved or, or more happier in, in his own skin at Madrid. He settled in. He came through the mix zone at the, uh, on Saturday evening, which he doesn't often do, and he stopped and spoke to the Spanish reporters for a while. Then he spoke to the radio guys for a while. Then he spoke to us, the, the English-language people, for a while as well. And he looked comfortable in his own skin. He looked happy. He, he's banging in the goals. Even the, the papers here, Marca and Ass, had him on the cover. They were talking about him as being the big star. He himself, you know, he, when he spoke to us, he, he didn't want to talk too much about it. He said he was disappointed that that Benitez had gone. He said he was happy at the moment. He used the phrase at the moment a couple of times and said you never know in the future, that kind of thing, which didn't really, it wasn't like a, I'm really happy here, I'm going to be staying here for the next 10 years type of a, a quote. But he does seem to have settled in well. He's scoring goals. The fans have got behind him. They, they were cheering him. He got a standing ovation as he came, on, came off at, at the weekend and, and things seem to be clicking for him at the moment. Um, at the moment, he sounds a bit like Cristiano Ronaldo, the sort of Ronaldo says. He, he, he's not a guy who... He stands there begging for Real Madrid to, to keep him on a little while. He kind of likes to say, well, you know, I'm happy here uh, for now. Is Gareth Bale just taking a bit of a, a leaf out of his book? Or, uh, I mean, we're constantly hearing about Ed Woodward scheming to uh, to get Gareth Bale. Uh, is there something happening on that front, do you think? Yeah, there was the, the stories that came out last week about Bale being unsettled and upset that, that Benitez had left were pretty well sourced. You know, the, the people who were reporting them, it wasn't the, the usual type of just putting two and two equals five together. It was reporters who had, who had spoken to Bale's camp and, and who were close to United as well. 
and, and there does seem to be a feeling that that both sides will be open to it in the summer. It's going to be a, a huge couple of months to see how things work out at Madrid. If everything goes flying under Zidane, Zidane's going to stay and they'll go into to next season. If things do, things don't go so well, then everything's open. You know whether Florentino is going to be able to continue. What's going to happen with Benzema as well with his court case? So there's a lot of a lot of open questions, and I don't think Bale wanted to to be too to be too clear about it and to say I'm definitely staying or I'm definitely going. He, he's waiting to see what's happened, the same as everybody else is. Yeah, he is, he seems like he's in quite a strong position at the moment, actually. Bale, like um, he might be for once in a position where they might start to need him more than he needs them. But I wonder that this whole this. Um, supposedly unhappiness that he had, this unhappiness he supposedly had when Benitez was sacked. Is that just because Bale, unlike a lot of his teammates, had the common courtesy to, you know, write a message to Rafael Benitez saying, thanks for all the training, best of luck in the future? No, I think it's that actually Bale enjoyed training under Benitez and liked being around the club and liked the way the team was playing and liked the way the way things were going, whereas pretty much everybody else, apart from a couple of people, hated it. They just weren't happy under Benitez. They didn't like going to training. There was all the, the leaks coming out. And even the, the open questions when people like Sergio Ramos or, or Marcelo were asked about Benitez, they were very kind of, ah, he's our coach. We have to do what he says. But, you know, obviously we need to do better and things need to change at the club. Bale was the one guy who seemed to, to enjoy it, who seemed to click with Benitez, who didn't mind maybe getting ordered around the way that that Ramos or Ronaldo don't particularly like being well, told probably exactly because he was, to do. Yeah, probably because he was being ordered around in English. I'd say that, 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 that would have been a bit of a deal. Well, yeah, sure, but yeah. probably would have been, though. I suppose if, if it's been well documented that he hasn't exactly mastered the Spanish language, so it's probably no harm that Benitez... I don't know what Zidane's English is like, actually, now that I think about it. Does anybody know that? The, uh, I've never heard him I, I've never. He, 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 anytime I've seen him with the opportunity to speak English, he's politely declined. <laughs> right, okay, so. yeah. Uh, more importantly, have, have we seen any inklings yet about what Zidane's football philosophy will be as a manager? Uh, he talked a bit about how he wants to get the team playing out from the back uh, and to play beautiful football uh, and to pass the ball around and score great goals, which is pretty much what every, what every coach says. One of the more interesting things he said last week was about, they asked him about Makaleli, or he was asked about Makaleli at his, uh, one of his press conferences and about balancing the team. And Zidane had been critical when, when Makaleli was sold by Paris the first time around. And he just said that he wanted to play all the, the attacking players, but they were all going to have to work. And if people didn't work and run hard, they weren't going to get into the team. Again, that's what he has to say. There's no real... Um, uh, any Madrid coach who's coming in is going to say that. We don't know. We're going to have to see. He played all the, the ball players. He brought Isco back into the team at the weekend, which was pretty popular. Isco was a guy who had fallen out with Benitez and who was really popular with the Madrid fans, the Spaniards really like Isco. He played in the team. Against Depore, they're going to win anyway. You know, they've a, they've a handy enough run of games coming up, six games that, that they should win in La Liga, then Roma in the Champions League, who are out of form themselves. So we're just going to have to wait and see when the, the business end comes around, how it's going to go. Uh, I mean, balance is, is Rafael Benitez's, you know, mantra word as, as a manager. So I, I suppose it just sounds better when it comes out as his hands mouth. But I mean, one thing that we do hear about uh, in relation specifically to Bale, uh, which, which supposedly... Uh, has really helped his game. And Benitez was doing this, and Zidane apparently was allowing him this, was uh, this idea that Bale, okay, he, he might start off on the right wing, but he can then roam around and go where he sees fit, and he's got this freedom to sort of, uh, you know, be a maverick and do his damage. It's so different when you hear, um, when, when you hear people talking about that, you realise how different the whole ethos at Real Madrid is from, say, the, this Guardiola or this Barcelona ethos, um, where players... If you're on the wing, you better be on the wing most of the time, you know, and you can only really leave your position at certain 
predetermined moments. You know, it's like a completely a yeah, more yeah. anarchic kind of uh, game, I suppose, that they play, or a more player-driven uh, game where the players are making it up off the cuff. I mean, do you think that's the, that's that's the way Zidane looks at it, or you know, he he evidently doesn't share any of these uh, kind of uh, highfalutin Guardiola positional ideas. Yeah, I think Madrid has, has always been, even going back over over decades, been a, a team where the coach or a club where the coach is not really that important, where tactics are, are not so important. Going back to Stefano and, and Puskas and these guys, they kind of ran the team and nobody knew who the coach was. All the way through that when the team were doing well in the 1980s, they had a, a lot of big stars and then onto the Galacticos as well. It'd be a surprise if Zidane did come in and start to do the Guardiola type stuff where he, you know, draws the training pitch into, divides the training pitch into three different zones and says you can't leave this zone or... When the ball is over here on the right wing, you have to here on the left. That is kind of what Benitez was trying to do to tell to correct the players and tell them you have to do this. You can't do things off the cuff. And I don't think it'd work. Zidane, whatever he feels inside you, I guess he knows that, that wouldn't work with the players who are there at the moment. Maybe bit by bit he'll try to introduce things the way Ancelotti did to put his arm around them and kind of give them tactical instructions almost without them realizing it and get them to do stuff that to, to feel that they were doing what they wanted to do while at the time they were actually doing what the team needed. So that was there. He was the assistant under Ancelotti. So maybe he learned a little bit of the how to, to to trick them into doing what they're supposed to do. I guess, but we'll see. There's been nothing really from his Castilla team. They played not not so organised football. He made a lot of changes all the time. He he made some played some pretty attacking teams even at, in the third tier. And it didn't go so well for him. So the, there's no real evidence to suggest he's going to come in and have this great tactical scheme and get the players to do what he wants. We've been talking. Dermot, about this story today in the Daily Telegraph about Oper- Operation Puerto, which is uh, something we hadn't, hadn't been in the news for a long time. Uh, essentially, it's written by Tom Carey, the psychic correspondent for that newspaper, who had an interview with Spain's the head of Spain's anti-doping agency. And it was all framed around the fact that there's an appeal being heard at some stage this month, not clear exactly when, but Madrid's court, provincial court, is going to re- release its verdict on the appeals lodged by WADA and by the UCI, amongst others. Um, against the destruction of the t- of the blood bags, which were I had assumed had been destroyed when they were ordered to be destroyed, but I didn't realize that there were that this was also this all stems from uh, Eufemio, you can never pronounce his first name, Doctor Fuentes, <laughs> I shall call him for the time being. Uh, we all know the background of Operation Puerto at this stage, I think. But uh, you know, the idea here is that actually these, there's still this ongoing legal process. If these appeals are successful and the rest of these bags become um, public knowledge uh, to the extent that they can be uh, identified with particular athletes, this could be a massive scandal in across all sports in Spain, as it we thought it might have been a few years ago. So far, it's really been confined to cycling. Has this gained any traction? Does anyone care about this in Spain? Do they talk about it? And not so much this morning. Like we we saw the story coming out, the Telegraph story last night, uh, and maybe some of the. The English media have been building it up this morning. It hasn't got as far as Spain that I've seen so far. It is something that's been hanging over Spanish sport for you know for over a decade now, as you say there before, and football has been involved in it because Fuentes, he worked for Las Palmas before he was on their payroll when he before he moved into cycling a bit and he was an advisor for, for different clubs through the, the 2000s. There's been lots of rumours going around that he was involved with some of the bigger players and some of his ex-clients or people with, with them with bones to pick against him or access to grind against him have, have said that he was involved with, with certain football clubs. The Spanish media, when, when a couple of years ago when Fuentes was charged and when he was up in, in court, it did, did come into the, the sports media, it did come into the football media that an ex-Rail Sociedad president accused his, the guy who took over from him as president, who they don't get on at all, as being involved in, in doping or having had Fuentes on the, the payroll at the club. 
the guy d- denied that, that the Astia Zaran was the, the president who was accused of that. At that stage, he had turned out to be the, the league's president. So he was pretty high up in the league. The FA president uh, as well, BR, has said that doping's not really an issue. Del Bosque has said that he doesn't think doping is really an issue. But it's still there. It, it's a kind of shadow that, that's hanging over all of Spanish sport and Spanish football. And until maybe these bags, if, the, if it was possible for the people to identify for it, to say this bag belongs to this athlete from whatever sport it is, then the shadow is still going to be there. Is there like a Paul Kimmage figure in the Spanish media kind of uh, crusader who is continually worrying this issue, let's say, and, uh, you know, or would such a person have been unemployed long ago? There are, there's a couple of people, they're more the cycling people at us, and I was at an event, uh, it was event doping in sport a couple of years ago, and I was kind of trying to give an, an outsider's view on, on what, what people outside Spain thought of of how Spain was dealing with it, and that was organized by us, and some of the us cycling reporters that are big into it, they try and, and do what they can. It's very difficult, though. Not very many people want to listen. Like even Marta, um, is a Marta Gonzalez is a uh, an athlete who people might know in Spain who would have raced against Sonia Sullivan back in the day. She's been convicted of doping by everybody, as far as as the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the Spanish Olympic Committee keep backing her. She's actually been elected as a as a politician. She's a member of Parliament in the Spanish Parliament at the moment, even though this is all hanging over her. She still says that nothing happened. People seem happy enough for her to be member of parliament so society doesn't seem to be that worried about it there are some some journalists not a, as high not as as aggressive maybe as Kimmage or as as high profile as Kimmage but it could do with somebody like that I think to, to reverse it open a bit more all right Derek Brady so thanks man you cheers guys that's one of those things One of those things. Duffman can never die. Only the actors who play him. Second chance. No, he did. No, he did. Do you think Bobby Keane just said, you know what? Any questions about me being the MVP of this league? I think he just said right there. Oh yeah. He's got more of a tan than me. Just go back to Zidane and particularly Bale's early impact under him. Okay, and there seems to have been almost an assumption, certainly in well, probably ever since Bale got to. Real Madrid, that if he was to fulfill all his promise and become, as some people thought he might be, the best player in the world, that's automatically going to mean Ronaldo isn't contributing as much as Ronaldo needs to contribute to feel good within himself. Is there a danger? Is it possible for Bale to flourish under Zidane or is it impossible to fully flourish with Ronaldo still there? Uh, no, it's it's possible because he's, you know, still, he's much younger than Ronaldo. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, it's it's going to be difficult for Ronaldo to stay ahead of him always. I mean, you could see actually the goals as the goals were going in in that game. As the more and more goals went in, Ronaldo was becoming more and more dejected. <laughs> <The> usual, <yeah. laughs> and the last one was particularly bad because uh, it was like a run. I think it was Carvajal down the right side, and Ronaldo was like streaking away in the center, totally unmarked. Right, this is going. This is obviously going to be goals like injury time. It's four nil, and this is obviously going to be a tap in for Ronaldo all Carvajal has to do is pass the ball in front of him as he's running in, and it's going to be a simple tap-in. He's got his goal. Everyone is delighted. But Carvajal passed the ball 
behind him. Like literally Ronaldo's like running into the box. Carvajal's ball is just behind him. So he has to suddenly check and then try and control it and then oh slightly lose control of it. And then no oh, no, he gets tackled and Benzema arrives and smacks it into the net, like off the bar, and kind of, you know, without breaking stride. And, and sort of, you know, jogs off doing his, you know, kind of jab, jabbing his finger. And Ronaldo, honestly, I've never seen anyone look. It was as though he was the defender. You know, his reaction to that goal was like... He was oh, on Jesus. his hands and knees, actually. Yeah. He, had, he had tried so hard to swivel and shoot that he ended up on his hands and knees. And then at the moment of his most utmost dejection, Benzema arrives to, like, blast one in off the underside of the crossbar. And then... Rubs salt into his wound. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. To be honest, I find it hard to imagine him becoming the big star of Real Madrid's team when he can't speak Spanish. Mm. I find that hard to imagine. I think that I, I think that he should go back to the Premier League. I think he'd be a, an amazing player in the Premier League for the next three or four years. Miguel Delaney is in Zurich for today's Ballon d'Or. Miguel, uh, we all are taking for granted that Leo Messi is going to win this again this year, which would be his fifth unprecedented in more ways than one. It's also the longest time span between winning a player winning their first and their most recent. Ronaldo won five of the original Ballon d'Ors from 97 to 92. This is the Brazilian Ronaldo, obviously. He also won the old FIFA award. Uh, there was a six-year span there, 96 to 2002. But so for uh, Messi, it's not just the achievement of actually winning five, it's also the longevity, the length of time that he's been performing at this level at that's fairly unprecedented. Yeah, well, not to really hammer an event and a prize I'm at, but while Messi is obviously has a strong argument to be possibly the best player of all time, I think putting forward his five Ballon d'Ors as part of that is almost irrelevant because was it, the award has changed so much since the 70s when the likes of Cruyff and Beckenbauer started to win it repeatedly. I mean, for it was kind of more meritocratic then. Now the lobbying for it has almost become industrialised. I mean, I, just, I was at a Mourinho press conference last year where he, where he was basically, he didn't mention Ronaldo by name, but he went into a lot of detail about how, you know, they're like, it's like the presidential campaigns at the White House in terms of trying to win certain players, the Ballon d'Or. Uh, and it, it's just a completely different uh, format. And I suppose the, the other side of it is that Me- Messi and Ronaldo are both so far ahead, or have been so far ahead of the, the, the rest of the world in that regard. But, he, but even still, I mean, there have been years where if it was in the 70s with the old voting system, you would have thought that maybe someone like Xavier Iniesta would in 2010 or in 2012, perhaps someone like Pirlo or, 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 or Buffon. So I think it's, it's almost, it's completely loaded in favour of the most glamorous and biggest stars now, which, 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 which means for all the, the obviously brilliant records of Messi's career, I don't think necessarily uh, winning, winning five Ballon d'Ors necessarily means that much in that regard. But Messi is by far the best player. I mean, this is, this is just a fact. And in the last couple of years, the last couple of years when he wasn't, or when he was inconsistent, when he was injured, he didn't win. This year, I mean, uh, over 2015, he was, he was by, by street the best player in the world. And, and I think that in each of the years that he's won this award, he has clearly been the best. It, it doesn't really, I, I feel, in well, his case, well, have much to do with lobbying. But, 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 well, I agree. I agree in that sense with Messi, but I suppose it's much more relevant with maybe some of uh, one or two Ronaldo's awards of the past few years. But, uh, but I think it's almost a problem with the award itself in that, in that it's not really defined. Are we talking about just the best player in the world, which, like, say, in the 80s would have been consistently Maradona? But then what's the point in being the best? Or what's the point in having the best talent if you don't apply it at the best level? So in that case, should it then be an MVP award, a most influential, which is why it then comes down to the trophies you've won, your impact on the major medals. And in that regard, while, while yeah, you're definitely right, Messi's been the best player for the, best player in the world for the, for the past half decade, there are certain years where if we're going by influence on major competitions, he didn't necessarily deserve to win it in that regard. And I, I, that's a slight contradiction with the award itself, I think. 
Well, you, when you just go back to the industrialized lobbying as you describe it there. What form does that actually take, Miguel? How do, uh, first of all, who, who actually executes that on behalf of Ronaldo, for example? And how do they go about trying to get, get, the flir- get all the votes behind him? Well, actually, I was just talking to, um, I was exchanging text messages last night with a guy who works in a kind of sports business and that side of it. And he, I just, without revealing his name, the exact quote, his exact quote on that is, given that winning a top sporting award brings both prestige and perhaps more importantly in today's modern game, a significant increase in commercial and sponsorship value, lobbying for votes is fairly common practice. In the United States, for example, clubs often launch polished marketing campaigns and will even over- overtly send gifts to the award voters. And I think in terms of it's not so much an issue in in England, say, but, I, but I mean, we've we particularly seen it, given that it's been such a Spanish-dominated war, sorry, a Liga-dominated war, that there that, uh, there's been pre- not pressure applied, but obviously, I mean, with the way these sort of relationships work, you can see it in some of the, in some of the Spanish media, say, I mean, Marco, for example, have launched huge campaigns for Ronaldo, for Casillas, when, when Raul didn't win in 2001, which is supposed to still quite a nascent stage of this industrialised lobby. There was, it was, you know, huge debates that Michael Owen won, won, won ahead of him. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was a, it comes in a, in a number of forms like that, but I suppose mostly it's just kind of um, this, 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 this subtle pressure, really, and I suppose almost an element of clientelism. seems the lobbying hasn't always been that effective then. If, you know, Ronaldo's obviously been the number one um, person uh, lobbying, and, okay, he has, he has won three, which is as good as anybody apart from Lionel Messi in history. Uh, Raul, I'm interested to hear that they were trying to do that for him, and he lost it to a guy who basically didn't even know what the award was. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was, it was a quote from Michael Owen recently that uh, he, he, as time has gone on, be like, it's one of the best individual awards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, when you look at this, do you think that it's the last time we're going to see Ronaldo in this uh, on the podium? No, because I, I think with the way if he, if he still scores at kind of thirty to fifty goals a year, which even though he's kind of waning as an athlete, I mean, he, he, you can kind of see it in his game now. He's still someone he'll, he'll be around the box, sending across, he'll hammer in a header, and he can kind of do that. Even if he can accelerate or sprint in the way he used to be able to, ah, there's also, loads of players who can do that, don't we? Yeah, I mean, but, 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 but that's the other side of it. Then is, is because he's such a visible name, and with the way the votes are constructed, I mean, there, I think I saw Sid Lowe's piece today, in which he said it suggested that it's almost this kind of subconscious pressure. That we, well, because it's the done thing to just put down Ronaldo and Messi, that's what Manny do, and I think that that is reflected when you see the votes breakdown. Yeah. It, 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 it's almost like it's by default Messi, Ronaldo, and then someone else, and almost the real decision comes in either which one you're going to put first. Messi Ronaldo, which should obviously be Messi, and then, but the actual choice comes down to who you pick as third. So uh, I, I, I think that I think Ronaldo probably has two or three years left. Yeah, I mean, my he, my choice is, as the second best player in the world isn't even there. Uh, Luis Suarez. Yeah, I mean, do you think that he? I mean, first of all, I don't know. I don't know whether you whether you agree with my opinion, but it seems to me that okay, he's he's not there. I mean, he's banned again at the moment uh, for the tunnel uh, incident. Um, when does the statute of limitations on his various uh, outrages expire? Or well, when he stops committing them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, well, he had he had an outrage free twenty fifteen. Yep. Uh, you know, he did everything. It was won everything he could win and scored all the goals. Well, I, you know, I, I top scorer in La Liga. Yeah. Well, should... well, I don't. I mean, in terms of talent, maybe he's not quite as good as Neymar, possibly. But I think that's up for debate. But if we if we are talking about the award as influence on the top games, this is the guy who scored the winning goal in the Clasico that effectively won the Spanish League, and then the winning goal in the Champions League final that won that. So, I mean, it's, it's, as good a, it's, it's pretty much as good a case as anyone has, has had in history, really. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd still, to be honest, think that, that Messi's just been slightly well, yeah. better than him this year. But uh, but in terms of second place, I think he probably should be there, certainly ahead of Ronaldo, whatever. Uh, Neymar's had an amazing year. But just the other thing is like Pep Guardiola uh, is snubbing the awards this time, Miguel. Uh, <laughs> yes. So what, what, tell us what's happened there. Well, I do. I mean, I mean, the official reason, obviously, is that, uh, that he doesn't want to break uh, Bayern's winter plan. And I suppose part of that is, given what's happening with his future, he might, it might be seen as if he's going to already start to take the eye off the ball if he leaves there, the, the training camp, uh, which he puts such onus on to come to uh, a bit of a bash or a bit of a party. But on the other side of it is, I'm just in the press conference room now, and I'm about 10 feet away from the, uh, the press conference stage. And obviously, that's part of it as well. Before the main ceremony, all the candidates have to do a joint press conference. And obviously, I suppose if Guardiola is going to do one, he'll just be asked incessantly about his future. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a calculated decision there to, to try and skip that. All right, Miguel, enjoy the party. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, lads. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. the humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. What was that reference to Michael Owen there? He he wasn't was he not too aware of Michael Owen won the how important um, the Ballon d'Or was back the Ballon d'Or then the European Footballer of the Year uh, which hadn't been won by any English player since Kevin Keegan which would have been nineteen seventy uh, I'm not sure did, did Keegan win it in nineteen eighty maybe he won he won it two times mm. but both times when he was with Hamburg. Uh, maybe he won it in 1977, the, the year that he left Liverpool. So it wasn't as though this award had a, had a big profile in England because it was something that n- no player from the English league ever won it, no English British player ever won it uh, since the 60s. Um, so when France football gave, gave Michael Owen the award, he was like, oh, yeah, oh, fair enough. Uh, they actually played that Life O'Reilly song, you know, given it, he's given it to him on the pitch or he was sort of being presented with it on the pitch at Anfield, and it was just like a whatever. No he, big. No he'd big been deal. so good up until that point that it probably didn't. Might even. It was just another landmark achievement in the never-ending upsurge of Michael Young Michael Owen's career, which, though. which in fact was uh, was already over. Nobody realized at the time that, yeah. that the best bit of his career was already over. But like, just in terms of what Miguel was saying, the difference that it can make. That's the the reason Michael Owen ended up going to Real Madrid for what turned out to be an unhappy. Sojourn that actually sent his career off in a tailspin, uh, in, <laughs> from which it never recovered, was because he had won the Ballon d'Or. He didn't realize the significance of it, but it was an important thing to Florentino Perez, so he bought him. And uh, yeah, Michael Owen's career never recovered, the, so uh, yeah. it didn't work out. The awards are being co-presented by James Nesbitt, I found out today. This will continue a trend for me in which I seem to end up seeing... Quite a lot of James Nesbitt without actually ever watching anything that he's acting in. Do you know what I mean? But of course, you hear his voice even even more often mm-hmm. because he's he's probably the foremost uh, ad voiceover. He's an man. ad voiceover king. Yeah, he also did a bit on BBC Sports Personality of the Year a few weeks ago. He was on the Graham Norton show on Friday. Now this, today. I'm telling you, I never can't get away from this guy. If someone was saying to me, "Who, who do you think it is?" Uh, I said, uh, "And I thought maybe Pele." Presenting. And then they said, "And I asked you the same question, Karen, and you." Gave the same answer. Maybe maybe they'll get Pele because it couldn't be bladder. And then I was like, 
uh, so here's it. It's James Nesbitt. And I thought, wow. Why couldn't they get uh, Tim Roth? Tim Roth is, could actually have impersonated Seth Blatter. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Gerard Depardieu yeah. as Jules Rimet from Beyond the Grave <laughs> presenting the 60th, uh, 60th Ballon d'Or. But you know, they went for they went for James Nesbitt and for Playtime. Good luck to him. One man very much aware. If Michael Owen wasn't too aware of the importance of individual prizes, yeah, yeah, Tory certainly is. We discussed that in our second show, which we'll put out later on today. Uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> a tirade against all of Africa for failing to award him the African Footballer of the Year gong for the fifth well, year. Well, Africa's just going to have to look after itself from now on because yeah, yeah, is uh, finished looking after it as far. That's what he's. That's pretty much it. Said yeah. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank Congratulations you on your reportage earlier oh, on. Thank you. Stuff. All the thank goals. You. All the goals. That's good, Ken. Thanks Feel for listening. Good. That's all, folks.
Oh, is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys. <laughs>